seek after God, God will make sure you find him. And so that is common. I mean, you think about your own testimony, your own experience uh, with Christ. There was probably something going on. There was, there was a hurting. There was a hungering. There was a searching. Uh, you were asking questions, and, and you were doubting things, and, and you had a thousand things going on in your head. And I remember that distinctly in my own life. There was just, there was just something, such an emptiness, such a void, such an ache, and I was asking questions, and, and I picked up the Bible my grandmother had given me when I was a younger child, and, and I, I, you know, I opened it up, and I, I started in the book of Genesis, and I started reading, and I'm, I'm, I can't really figure it out. I'm, I'm not really understanding everything that I'm reading, but God, God made sure that there was an obedient messenger brought across my pathway that was going to enable me to have the same kind of experience this Ethiopian eunuch is going to have because somebody was willing to share God's word. And that's the third factor. God's word is explained. And it says that he's gone to Jerusalem, and on his way home, he's sitting in his chariot reading his, the book of Isaiah. And by the way, that chariot is not like on Ben-Hur, you know, like one of those circular chariots where you've got to stand up and you've got two horses drawing it. Uh, listen, that's a 1,200-mile journey. This guy is, he would have an entire entourage with him. Uh, either the carriage is, is, is like a large um, almost like a large bed with poles and eight men would carry it, or more than likely, it is a, a large carriage that is drawn by multiple horses. But because this is an official from another country um, on the continent of Africa, you know, he, he's going to have all kinds of guards with him and, and an entourage coming into Jerusalem you know, seeking out God, and, and maybe he's a God-fearer, and he comes out, and he's reading. He's reading the Word of God. How would he get a copy of the Word of God? It, it was very expensive in that day and time, and it was not readily available. But he has, and he's reading probably the Septuagint, the, the uh, Greek translation of the Hebrew uh, Old Testament, and it says that um, Philip, the Spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Philip runs up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now, I love this. Um, Verses 29 and 30, where it says, the spirit says to Philip, and Philip, man, he can't wait. He, he, He is like frothing at the mouth. Here, here is an opportunity to share, to share Jesus once again. It just boggles my mind that God, we sang about God's relentless love, his relentless searching of you. So God takes Philip out of this grand revival that's taking place of Samaria, and he says, now I want you to go 165 miles into another area, and, I, and I'm going to put you there for one person. One person. And so what is it that, that Philip begins describing? He, he describes the word of God. And as it would be, uh, this Ethiopian eunuch is reading out of Isaiah chapter 53. 
Written 700 years prior to Jesus, probably the most detailed prophecy about the suffering and the death and the redemption of Jesus in all of the Old Testament, his atoning sacrifice for us, Jesus being the Lamb of God who has led to the slaughter, who is wrongfully accused for crimes he did not commit, but he doesn't even open up his mouth to defend himself. Why? Because when you are being accused in a courtroom and, and there's no response, well, you're conceding to the charges. Guilty. So why would Jesus concede to the charges? Because the guilt is not his own. He consented to the charges because he was taking upon himself your guilt and mine. And because he was acting as our substitute, he's saying your guilt has become my guilt and I will go to the cross and I will drink of the cup of God's wrath and I will pay the price in order for you to be set free. And so it says... You know, out of Isaiah 53, he's like sheep gone astray. I mean, in Isaiah 53, 6, what it said, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. But the Lord has laid what? The iniquity of us all on him. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. A lamb before the shearer is silent. He doesn't open his mouth. In humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Please note this. Clever speeches are never enough. Listen, when God's got somebody's heart prepared for the good news of Jesus Christ, you'll notice what Philip did not do. Philip did not just say, well, let me tell you my testimony, although your testimony is a wonderful, powerful thing. But he sat down and he explained to him the scripture. He took the word of God and said, this is, what, this is who Jesus is, this is what Jesus has come to do, and this is what Jesus can do for you. It's not based on my opinion, because somebody can argue with my opinion, but if they want to argue with the word of God, then they have to argue with God himself. So when you're sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm not saying that you have to share with them the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, but you need to let the word of God do the speaking. It needs to be a part of the process, right? And so what does it go on to say? And then it says, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And so that's the fourth element, is that the gospel is presented. And so the gospel in four words is Jesus in my place. The gospel in two words is substitutionary atonement, which is a big fancy word that says Jesus stood in my place. He became my substitute. He atoned. He paid for my sin by giving his own life in exchange for mine. He lived the life I could not live. He died the death I could not die. He paid the debt I could not pay in order that I might experience God's amazing grace. The gospel. My question for you then is this. If God were to set up a divine appointment for you, would you be prepared to share the gospel? And what would that look like for you? Now, there is not one cookie-cutter way to share the gospel or the good news of Jesus. But as a believer in Christ, you ought to at least have some verses under your belt in order for, you know, Jesus said, listen, when, when you need to speak, the Holy Spirit will give you words with which to say. But it's a whole lot easier for the Holy Spirit to bring words to your mind if you've made a deposit, It's kind of like you don't want to write checks out of a bank account that has no money in it, right? Blank check. 
Well, the same thing is true. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit can't bypass that, but it's amazing how he can line up the scripture, the word of God, in order to speak to that individual if you have, in, if you have put some of that in your thought process, in your memory bank. That's why it's so important that we read the Word of God or, or just carry a small New Testament in your back pocket, your purse, whatever. And even more effective is you pull that out and you let them read it for themselves. Hey, here's a verse that God says about your condition. Here's what God says that, that is the next thing you need to do. And here's what the Word, what do you think about that? What do you think that is saying? And actually walk them through a gospel presentation. So uh, I'm going to do something. Um, let's throw this up on the screen. This is the three-circle um, gospel conversation we've talked about many, many times. I want to give you some verses of Scripture to write down, okay? These are verses of Scripture. It's, your, your presentation is not limited to this list, but certainly and these are good verses that you ought to have under your belt. And so what we want people to know is, listen, God designed the world in which we live. Amen? And, uh, you, you can take them back to Genesis if you want and, and show them how God created heavens and the earth and how he put Adam and Eve in the, the garden and, and they experienced the fall. Or you can bypass that. You don't necessarily have to start there. Uh, but certainly we have to, wh wherever they are broken in their life, is that we're, that's my starting point, and say the reason why we experience brokenness in life is because God has a design, and out of our own selfish nature that says, you know what, I'm going to do life my way, and we bypass God, that's called sin, and sin always leads to brokenness, and brokenness always leads to coping mechanisms in order to deal with our brokenness, all right? So there are a lot of different ways we try to cope with things. That's why I might interject my testimony. Here were my coping mechanisms. They did not work out well. In fact, they, they led to further brokenness in my life, and they will also in your life. So here's some verses I want you to, to jot down. And so when you're dealing with this issue of sin, so Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23. Romans 3.10 says what? Uh, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's not, any, there's not a single person in this world who has not sinned. How do I know that? Because everybody's broken in some area of their life. The way, you know, so you know, all have sinned, fallen short of God's glory. The wages of sin, the payment. People understand about payment. You work, you get a paycheck. So the payment for my sin is death. This is not just physical death. This is what's called spiritual death. And I have no capacity within myself to heal my brokenness. I can manage my brokenness, but I have no power or capacity to heal my brokenness. And so there's a lot of th things that you can, you know, sin leads to brokenness. And we realize that, you know, life's not working. Uh, we begin to look for a way out. We begin to look for uh, the fact that we need something beyond ourselves. And so I always like to drop in Proverbs 14, 12 here, because here's, here's what our thought process is. There is a way that seems right to me. There's a way that seems right to me to, to, to deal with my brokenness, but in the end, it leads to death. In the end, it's going to lead to death. It's not going to take me where I want to go. It's not going to bring healing. See, there are some people who are broken because of bad family relationships early on in life, 
And this happens all the time with young women. They come out of those broken family relationships, and what is the first thing they're looking for? They're looking for some man to heal their brokenness. And they're going to attach themselves to any relationship they can find because they believe that is the key to experiencing health, wholeness, and healing in their lives. So they jump into any old relationship, and before long, that relationship goes south, it goes sour, and then they're wondering what in the world happened, right? So there was a way that seemed right to them, but in the end, it It didn't work out. It led to death. It led to the death of a relationship. And so then we hop into another relationship and into another relationship. And the reason why this happens is because baggage attracts baggage. Brokenness attracts brokenness. Listen, marriage is not about marrying the right person. It is about being the right person. If you become the right person, then your marriage is more than likely going to be successful, right? So if I'm just filled with brokenness and my wife's filled with brokenness, which is how we came into our relationship, guess what we had? A whole lot of brokenness. And if we're not for the grace of God, we would have never made it. All right? So um, because of his love, you know, God doesn't leave us in our brokenness. You know, in John 3, 16, for God so loved you that he gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And I like to take them to Colossians chapter 2 and talk in verses uh, 13 through 15 where God took our sin debt. We all understand about debt. Why? Because Americans are in love with our credit cards, right? We understand about debt. And so we had this huge debt that we owed God that we could not pay. And the Bible says that Jesus came in my place in order to take that debt and to nail it to the cross and mark it paid in full. And so simply hearing the gospel is not enough. You know, we have to admit our sinful brokenness, and we can't trust in ourselves. And so what do we do? We repent and we believe. What? Because the answer is the gospel. The answer is always the gospel. And the reason why the answer is always the gospel, because the, the gospel, Jesus is the gospel personified. It's always the answer. And so to repent, Acts 3.19, repent and believe. Right, Repent and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You want healed? You, 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 want, to, you want healed from your brokenness? You want God to bring restoration back to your life? You're going to find it through Christ. And so repentance is simply, uh, it means I'm turning from trusting myself in trusting Christ. I've been trusting myself my whole life, and all it does is get me deeper and deeper in my own brokenness. But when I trusted in Christ, when I gave my life to him, Jesus all of a sudden began to take the broken pieces of my life and began fitting them together and putting it back where where it needs to be. And so here, um, you can drop in, you know, Romans 5, 8. um, God demonstrated his love for us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. That this is a decision, this is the decision you make. John 1, 12, to those who believed in him, then Christ, he gave them the right to become the children of God. You can put Romans 10, 9, and 10 uh, in there uh, as, a, as a means by helping people understand. You confess with the mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart. God's raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. But one of the things, you, another th- aspect you want to put in there is you want to help people understand. Listen, the gospel is not about earning God's favor. Religion says... I work, therefore, I am approved by God. The gospel says, I am approved by God, therefore, I work. All right, so Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, we are saved by grace through faith, 
not that of ourselves. It is what? It is a gift of God. So this brings them to the decision point where it says, listen, it's like receiving a gift at Christmas. The only way you receive the gift, I can hand it out to you, but you, it's not yours until you take it. And then you simply help them understand that receiving Christ is an act of faith. You are trusting in Jesus alone and nothing else for your salvation, for God to, to bring healing and hope back into your life. This is a, a very serious thing, right? I hope you have a conversion experience. I hope you have a conversion story. If you do not, it will not end well for you if this life comes to a conclusion and you're without Jesus. And you have no guarantee as to how long you're going to live. None. It may be, this may be the last day you spend on planet Earth. I don't know. The question is, are you prepared? Do you have a conversion story? If you don't have a conversion story, you don't have a conversion. You may not remember every little minute detail, but you certainly must remember the fact that you made that transition into that relationship. So uh, let me encourage you, um, if you're here this morning, you don't have that relationship. I want you to bow your heads. I want to lead you in a prayer. This is exactly what I would do with anyone. Listen, the magic is not in the words of the prayer. It's not in what you say. Uh, it is the intention of your heart. And I'm just helping guide you in that intention. And so you may pray something like this. God, I know, I know that I'm a sinner, that, that I've broken this in my life. I, I admit that to you. Lord, I, I am broken, but I believe, I believe that Jesus Christ came to live and to die and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Lord, would you forgive me? I'm turning from my selfish ways. I'm putting my trust in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of my sin. Lord, come into my life and cleanse me. Give me a new life as I surrender myself to Jesus as Lord of my life. And I choose by an act of my will to follow him. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will enable me to live the life you have designed for me to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you'll notice what happens to this Ethiopian eunuch. He says in verse 35, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's the water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Listen, the eunuch made a decision. And after that decision, he is baptized immediately. Baptism is your first step of obedience as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's the first step of lordship. I could quote you all kinds of verses all throughout the book of Acts, where once a profession of faith is made, immediately it is followed up with believer's baptism. It is your public statement that you become a follower of Jesus Christ, that you are not going to be ashamed of the gospel, but you're going to publicly take your stand with Jesus. Baptism is the first evidence, again, is a part of the Great Commission. And so he asked the question, what hinders me from being baptized? There's nothing. If, you're, if, if you have made a profession of faith in Jesus, nothing hinders you. 
I've heard all kinds of questions say, well, uh, I, you know, I, 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 I'm a bit baptized because I just don't think it's that important. Not according to Jesus. Because here's what I've discovered. If you obey this one small step of obedience, then you'll probably spend the rest of your life walking in obedience to Jesus. But if you question this and if you balk on this, You'll spend the rest of your life picking and choosing what you will obey and what you will not obey for the rest of your life. I've heard people say, well, I was baptized as a baby. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, No offense, but baptism is presented in the Bible as your own profession of faith. When your parents took you and had you baptized, which I was christened as a a young baby, um, that was a statement of my parents' faith, not mine. All throughout the New Testament, baptism always follows your profession of faith, personal profession of faith. Man, when I got saved, I couldn't wait to be baptized. I, I, wanted, to know, I wanted the world to know that I was a follower of Jesus Christ. And so baptism always follows salvation, never precedes it. Another one is I'm not ready. You know, baptism is a public profession of an inward reality. Um, It says to everyone, this is who I am. I am a disciple of Jesus. I know you may not feel ready, but you are ready. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to take 15 classes to prepare yourself for baptism. I'm not saying taking a class on baptism is a bad thing. I'm just saying that's not what makes you ready. What makes you ready is the fact that Jesus has entered into your life through the person of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes you ready. Someone says, well, it's embarrassing. It's inconvenient. I don't want to go over the top here, but Jesus, Jesus hung on a cross for six hours naked. Death is ugly. It is ugly. And nothing was more ugly than the death of Jesus being flogged, being shredded like hamburger, thrown on a cross, spikes in his hands and his feet, and dragging that out for hours so that you and I could be set free through the grace of Christ. And we want to say it's inconvenient, it's embarrassing. This is after all that Jesus has done for us. I'll take up the embarrassment. I'll, 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 I'll take up the inconvenience of it all. I'm just challenging you. Take that step of obedience if you've never have. Take your connection card and say, man, I've, I've not followed Jesus in baptism. If you're here this morning and you, you prayed to receive Christ in your life, put that on your connection card. We're going to sing here in just a moment. I'll be here at the front. If you'd like to come and ask further questions or I, I'd love to pray with you. But listen, We who are saved, we who have a relationship with Christ, we who profess Jesus to be Savior and Lord of our lives, my ultimate question for us is this. Are we being obedient servants? Are we being obedient messengers? There was a turning point in my life when I quit asking God, what is your will for my life? And rather, I started offering my life to him as a sacrifice for the pursuit of of his will on earth. And so my whole prayer life began to change. It wasn't all about God. 
you know, what's your will for my life? And God, this, these are my dreams and these are my passions. Kind of like what Jeff talked about. God, you know, here's what you can do for me. I've got grand plans, God. How about getting in on them and blessing them? And so I, I went from, God, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it to God. Here I am. Send me. Use my life in the greatest way possible. I'm your servant. I'm picking up my cross. I'm dying to self. And I'm letting you lead me to bring the greatest extent possible to help others come to the salvation, the saving grace of your son, Jesus Christ. And so now I give my life to you as a grateful offering. You know, once at a conference, I literally stepped inside an offering plate and said, here I am. And I've never stepped outside of it again. So let's bow our heads for a moment as we We prepare our hearts just to, to give back to the Lord. Father, you've done so much, so much for us to save us. And Lord, it is my prayer that you would use our lives to the greatest extent possible to bring salvation to others. And so, Lord, we come to you as your children with grateful hearts, and we offer up our bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to you because you made us holy. You made us pleasing through your son, Jesus Christ. Now, Father, may you renew our minds that we will no longer conform ourselves to the ways of this world, but we will be transformed and we will, we will recognize the calling that you have placed upon our lives the commission that you have given to us. You've called us your ambassadors, your representatives of your kingdom. Now we, may we walk in the authority and the power that you have granted to us through Jesus to bring to bear upon this world your kingdom and its power and its glory and its honor forever and forever and forevermore. It is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.
Before we leave this morning, uh, I just want to remind you to, uh, if you would just be pray, praying for Eric Norman, his father passed away Friday, and, and for Lisa, and uh, just dealing with that, you know, how when you lose a parent, um, that's just a heavy blow to take, right? Uh, I know as God's faithful, God's with them, but uh, we need just to uplift them in prayer this week, and I, I pray that you'll have a great week. I love you. Look forward to seeing you back next Sunday as we celebrate once again. Have a great week. God bless you.